Let us join together in our responsive call to worship. There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope of our calling. Let us worship God together.
Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing is one of my personal all-time favorite hymns. The thing I really love about it is the image of our hearts being tuned to grace. It makes of the life of faith a piece of music. And in that piece of music, in worship, we come to confession. And confession is where we are invited together to name those things to which our hearts are tuned that are not grace. Things like envy or violence or pride or fear. So in humility and in faith, let us attend to our confession together using our unison prayer of confession. Let us pray. Merciful God, in your gracious presence, we confess our sin and the sin of this world. Although Christ is among us as our peace, we are a people divided against ourselves. We cling to the values of a broken world. The profit and pleasures we pursue lay waste the land and pollute the seas. The fears and jealousies we harbor set neighbor against neighbor and nation against nation. Lord, have mercy upon us, heal and forgive us, set us free to serve you in the world as agents of your reconciling love in Jesus Christ. Amen. Because we are buried with Christ in these waters, the waters of baptism, we are also raised to life with him. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Baptism is the bond of unity in Jesus Christ that we share together where we're made one with Christ and made one with one another. And we enact that unity here with words and with gestures of peace. And so, if you are worshiping online this morning, I invite you now to do that by signing in with the online pew pad as we exchange peace with one another, saying together, the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Please offer peace to those around you. Welcome. Welcome to worship here at Fourth Church on Marathon Sunday in Chicago. You all made it in record time. Also, worship online through our live stream. We come together this morning as a community of faith seeking to be a light in the city, reflecting the inclusive love of God in our worshiping and our serving and in all of the things that we do here together. I invite you to Add your name to the pew pads that are at the ends of the pews and then pass them down. Note the names of the people around you. Greet them by name later if you can. This might feel like a kind of formal exercise with the little pencils in the backs of the pews, but I assure you this is a really meaningful way that we stay connected and strengthen our connection to one another as a large and spread out community here in the city. I also want to invite you here at the start of our service to peruse the back half of your worship bulletin at some point this morning, pages 7 through 11. 
you're going to find here lots of invitations, invitations for you to become connected or become more connected to contribute to this community through learning, through serving, through community building. You might be interested in attending a Bible study or singing in a choir or attending a long-range planning uh, town hall forum, volunteering with the meals ministry. Invitations to that and how to do all of that are there in the in that portion of the bulletin. So I encourage you to look at that. You may find there an invitation that speaks to you personally. In fact, I expect that you probably will. In just three weeks here in worship, on the same day that we welcome our new interim pastor, we will also dedicate our pledges to the ministry of Fourth Church in the coming year. We've been talking about this for at least three Sundays now to help us consider those pledges and to prepare to make them thoughtfully and prayerfully. Pledging is something that we do as a community that helps us to plan and prepare for ministry. It's something that my household has found increasingly meaningful to do over the years. Because in the same way that our household needs to plan for the things that we want to invest in, the things that we value, whether it's an organization we want to support, nieces and nephews that we want to help out, or assist a neighbor who is in some kind of a need. In the same way, we as a church have to plan to be the light in the city that we want to be. Our pledges are a really, really important tool for envisioning and planning for ministry in 2024 and beyond. And because the theme of this year's pledge campaign is home, I hope you'll permit an anecdote from my own home. Meredith's and my, uh, my daughter, Laura, is 15, and she has been able to go on two high school mission trips, and two high school retreats in the short time that she's been a high schooler. Before that, she went on junior high trips and retreats. Like all of the parents who send their students on those trips, Meredith and I contribute something to the costs of everybody's participation in that trip. It's a recommended amount, and that recommended amount is never more than half of what we budget the expenses to be. That is because the other half of that is built in as an investment in our youth ministry in our budget, and the youth committee does that with people's pledges. So my home, my household, thanks our church home Thank you for fulfilling your baptismal vow toward Laura and toward all of our students, vows that you have taken to nurture and guide them by word and deed with love and prayer because your pledges are a really concrete way that you fulfill that vow and I hope that you will consider that in the next few weeks. So now we will continue in our worship as we do indeed celebrate the sacrament of baptism. Well, friends, obeying the word of our Lord Jesus Christ and confident of his promises, we baptize all those whom God has called. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to God. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Christ and by water and the Holy Spirit. We are made members of the church the body of Christ. And joined to Christ's ministry, 
of love, peace, and justice. Let us remember with joy our own baptisms as we celebrate this sacrament this morning. So I want to invite parents of our baptismal candidates to please stand as you answer these questions. Do you desire that your children be baptized? Do you? Do you, as their parents, confess your own faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and do you trust in him? So say, I do. And relying on God's grace, do you intend your children to be Christ's disciples, to obey God's living word, and to show God's love? If so, say, I do. Thank you. And now I invite Kate Cups, a member of our church's session, who has a question for our entire congregation. In our Presbyterian tradition, the congregation as a whole takes responsibility for nurturing those baptized into the life of the church. Do you, as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture these children by word and deed with love and prayer, encouraging them to know and follow Christ and to be faithful members of Christ's church? If so, please say, we do. We do. Friends, let us pray. We give you thanks, eternal God, for you nourish and sustain all living things by the gift of water. In the beginning of time, your spirit moved over the watery chaos, calling forth order and life. In the waters of the Jordan, Jesus was baptized by John and anointed with your spirit. By the baptism of his own death and resurrection, Christ sent, set us free from sin and death and opened the way to eternal life. Gracious God, we pray now that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon this water, that this font may be a place of new birth. And now, as Cassidy and Shay pass through these waters, may they be delivered from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from sin to righteousness. Strengthen them to serve you with joy until the day you make all things new. To you be all praise, honor, and glory forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. And now would you present the candidates for baptism? Mark and Larissa Rosso present their child, Cassidy Hawks, for baptism. All right, Cassidy, come on. Come on. It is time. Cassidy, beloved one, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Cassidy, child of the covenant, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in your baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. Chris and Megan Wedigy present their child, Shay Elizabeth, for baptism. Would the sponsors please stand? All right, Shay, it is time. Shay, beloved of God, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit. Shay, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in your baptism. And child of the covenant, you are marked as Christ's own forever. Amen. These children, Cassidy, I want you to stand up with your parents. These children, and turn around and face the congregation, are the newest members of our church family. And it's with thanksgiving that we welcome them to share with us in Christ's ministry. And it is with joy that we will watch them grow into the persons that God has called them to be. So in gratitude to God for the gift of this sacrament, let us pray. Merciful and loving God, you call each of us by name and you hold each of us through your love. We ask now that you watch over Cassidy and Shay, that as they grow up, you would be guiding them every step of the way. Increase their compassion for others, inspire them to make a difference in the world, and help them to know that they are one of your beloved children. And help their parents too as they teach them their faith. And help us as a church to support them in doing so. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. And so, friends, may the grace of God, the love of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Loving God, fountain of every blessing, open us to your live giving word and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that living water may flow through our hearts, a spring of hope for a thirsty world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes. Yes. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Listen now for God's word to us. 
The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the teacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. <clears throat> what do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be. There is nothing new under the sun. The word of God for the people of God. Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Psalms, chapter 19, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 10. Let us listen now for God's word to us today. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard, yet their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. 
My wife and I, as the parents of a four-month-old, and I'm sure our baptismal parents will be familiar with this, have decided to pass the time during our many sleepless nights by sending each other cute little humorous internet memes from our smartphones back and forth in silence. I was tickled by this recent one. There was a couple pleasantly smiling in an embrace on a couch, and the caption read, Arguing with your partner is like trying to read the terms of use on the internet. Eventually, you just give up and say, I agree. (laughs) Now, it could be a partner in your household, a parent or a sibling, or a cherished friend, but this meme gets at our angst for arguing. We'd all rather avoid debate for the sake of unity or for our own personal peace. However, it's difficult to look to scripture to justify that desire for conciliation. What I mean is that among the many voices that emerge from the Bible, there are many arguments. And sometimes, like our scripture passages this morning from Ecclesiastes and the Psalms, they are downright interminable, more like equations for which we are eternally seeking balance than conflicts that simply end. So who in this case are our disputants? Well, in one corner, we have Ecclesiastes Koholith, a Hebrew word for teacher. This teacher is sometimes considered a stand-in for King Solomon in his elder years, but in its final form, scholars believe it was composed in the 4th century BCE in post-exilic, cosmopolitan, and Persian-influenced Jerusalem. And in that cosmopolitan hotbed of a city, Ecclesiastes emerges as a disillusioned, hard-nosed, and cynical voice about life. It's the kind of text that can feel at home in the grittiness of our own metropolis. As scripture's chief cynic, there is no pundit, no Oscar the Grouch of Sesame Street fame, no hardened friend or family member you know who will likely match the inner curmudgeon than someone who begins their phrases like, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, or in the common English Bible translation, all is meaningless. The psalmist, in the other corner, speaks to a world chock full of meaning. Composed in that same post-exilic environment, the psalmist trades indifference for the full range of human emotions toward the divine. Joy, anger, lament, hope. In such hands, the psalms become the Bible's book of prayer and poetry that always strives for praise of God and God's creation. Even lament, even in lament, the Psalms offer us praise in a minor key. And in this debate between the cynic and the praiseful, the early verses of Psalm 19 present us with the question of the moment. 
are the heavens truly telling us of the glory of God? Does nature's voice reveal to us as the psalm insists that God is worth glorifying? That God is both grand and ultimately good? To answer a question posed in poetry, sometimes it helps to take a poet's view. Many years ago, a young student at Oxford University in England gave up a promising academic career to live as a humble Jesuit priest. He was by all accounts a rather odd and ornery personality, prone to bouts of sickness, but had a feverish desire to write poetry. His name was Gerald Manley Hopkins. And even after he swore off the poetry for an ascetic life, he kept up the craft. And in 1877, he penned these words. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil, crushed. He was riffing as jazz artists say, on Psalm 19. In place of God's glory, he wrote of God's grandeur. But like the psalmist, he was trying to describe an almost indescribable divine presence he felt coursing throughout the natural world. To believe the world is charged is to know that nature itself has a voice to exclaim that reality. Those who knew Hopkins, as a recent biography tells us, noticed that Hopkins was in dogged pursuit of nature's voice. Friends noted his penchant for, quote, stooping down to study wet sand or blades of grass or little blue flowers. In fact, he playfully told his younger brothers to follow suit by eating those same flowers so that they would truly understand them. It's the kind of boundless curiosity and hunger to unlock nature's secrets that hears its voice and communions with its heart that you'll find from children playing with a couple square inches of mud and rock, discovering how much life is charged in one speck of earth. That same desire to commune with nature's voice wound its way into me after I made a pilgrimage last year to the South Carolina coast. Since then, any time I take a dip into a pool or a lake or an ocean, I take a moment to repeat a little liturgy, not unlike the one that we repeated during our baptismal celebration today. A few short words they are that remind me of my connection to this vital element of life. I draw my hands into the water, I lift it, them up and let the droplets run back saying, I am a child of the waters. My ancestors sojourned through the waters of the Atlantic. My father swam through the waters of Lake Michigan. I married upon the shores of the Pacific. I am a child of the waters. 
Little liturgies like this one are ways of extending an embrace to the natural world so that we might, like a child playing in the mud or eating flowers, get within shouting distance of nature's voice. But often nature's voice gets drowned out by another voice. The voice of the teacher of Ecclesiastes telling us that all is not right and joyful in the world. Under that sun which runs its course like an athlete running the Chicago Marathon on an October day. That sun sits over a lot of toil and strife and suffering. Hopkins knew this too. In his poem on God's grandeur, he grieves. Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is seared with trade and bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. It is, in other words, the human voice that drowns out nature's praise. Because the world under the sun is loud and grating with human struggles with nature. The human desire to exploit, to exploit nature. Or human grief when it seems as though nature takes away what people hold dear. And in the face of such tragedies, we wonder, where exactly is God's glory in all this? Is God's glory still found when a family loses all they have in a wildfire? Is God's glory still there when the farms fail due to drought and a whole economy withers away? Is God's glory in the unjust and poisonous weapons that humans unleash to other human communities? The teacher of Ecclesiastes says it's the same old story of pain and contradiction, whether in post-exilic Jerusalem or today. Today our Siblings in Israel and Palestine wake up to violence that has them and many around the globe watching events unfold, crying out like the teacher that there is frustratingly nothing new under the sun and that it's all too familiar and wearisome, this violence, this carnage. We seem as helpless as the earth, moon, and stars embarking on their futile course to do anything about it. The streams run into the sea, but they are never filled, says the teacher. Before such realities, ancient and modern, natural and human, we cannot be naive optimists. None of us can sit with such pain and not call it pain. Now the story and the poetry could end there. We might affirm the stoic cynicism of Ecclesiastes full stop, but the psalm invites us to lift our thoughts a little higher. In the last stanzas of Hopkins' poetry, it swings back in the direction of hope. He says, and for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. Nature is never spent. When Hopkins lived in the early decades of the modern industrial economy, given the impending impact of climate change, I am loath to utter the same words that he uttered cavalierly. 
channeling my own inner teacher, I wonder if fear of nature's demise rather than its resiliency would give us ample motivation to keep the worst from happening. Nevertheless, Hopkins, like the psalmist, wants us to know that in the face of lament, nature's last word is praise. Robin Wall Kimmerer is another kind of poet laureate. She's a trained botanist and a member of the citizen Potawatomi Nation, which traces its origins to these very shores of Lake Michigan upon which we gather today. And she has her own way of getting up close to listen to the voice of nature through the instruments of indigenous and Western science. She encourages us to listen from nature's enduring praise. She invites us to see plants as our sage teachers. Take moss, for example, she says. These green, fuzzy little plants that have the look and feel of carpet have a 350 million year head start on us in praising God. Moss began emerging from the oceans, living on rocks and basking in the sun and waters, and then they broke down nutrients in the rocks, sending them cascading into the seas, unleashing events, that changed the climate as we know it and gave us human beings and mammals life. Kimmerer tells us that mosses take the long view. Remember that this is not the first time anything has happened. Yes, there's nothing new under the sun. But those same mosses have as she says, reflected God's goodness beyond their humble size. They serve as healing forces, softly blanketing every kind of surface. They find livable footholds in abandoned buildings. They return life to radioactive Chernobyl. Following the laws of nature and divine guidance, they have found a sustainable place in the family of creation, not seeking to dominate but to flourish. They're just one tiny plant, one voice in the vast chorus of resilient praise that is nature. So how do we respond to that voice? In 1989, ecumenical patriarch Demetrios, Demetrios of the Orthodox Christian tradition called for a day of prayer for creation. And that spawned a move by the World Council of Churches to, to designate the period from August to October 4th, ending in the Saint Day of Francis of Assisi as a, as a season of creation. Care for nature, care for creation must certainly raise important political, economic, and cultural questions in our time. It must demand changes in policies and laws. But not all of us are policy experts or botanists. Like the psalmist, most of us are casual observers seeking wisdom where we can find it, seeking to celebrate the season of creation. And so maybe like the psalmist, our first task is to learn to listen. Simply listen. Listen. And I think that gift of listening is what we might model for the next generation, for Cassidy and for Shea, who we baptize today. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Will we listen? Amen.
as together we affirm what we believe. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Amen. Please be seated. Let us center our hearts in God as we join in prayer. Let us pray. God of power and hope, listen to your children praying. We come before you praying the words of the psalmist who exclaimed in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together. To it the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there the thrones for judgment were set up, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake of my relatives and friends, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. In the wake of war, we pray for Jerusalem, a broken geography several hundred miles away. We pray for the Jerusalem of metaphor, as our bodies, minds, and souls bear witness to the Jerusalem vision for peace and righteousness. In this season of unrest, we pray for the promise of peace within, that everyone born may prosper in the ways of love. May peace be within our bodies and security within our minds. For the sake of your body, for the sake of our bodies as the temple of God, May each of us seek our own good and the common good to the glory of God. And in one voice, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We give our time and our finances, our imagination and our commitment so that all may know the joy and the power of worship does not come from us, but from our God. Let us now offer our gifts to God.
Let us pray. O oh God, our offerings proclaim that work and worship are one, that life is undivided. Use these gifts for your church's ministries of reconciliation, service, and mercy. Amen. telling of the glory of God. Let us go out this day joining in nature's chorus of praise, returning no one evil for evil, but returning evil with good, strengthening the faint-hearted, supporting the weak, helping the suffering, honoring all people. And when we do so, may Christ go behind us to protect us from every harm. May Christ go beneath us to support us through every trial. May Christ go beside us to befriend us on the journey to life and creation restored. And may, may Christ go ahead of us to light our paths this day and forevermore. Amen.